You're at the Over or Under Show. I'm your host, Ed Henderson. And man, it's a crazy world we live in. It has no shortages of rabbit holes. I'm not scared of rabbit holes. If you're not scared of rabbit holes, this show is for you. Let's see if we can jump in one and make our way back to the top. Welcome to Over and Under. I'm your host, Ed Henderson. And today is Ramblin' Fridays. Yeah, this is where I just like to talk. I might jot down a few notes uh, as I come across different things. I think uh, one of the things that's top on my mind today is the buyout of Twitter by Elon Musk. Now, like Trump, I don't. I think people have very short memories. Trump was very popular prior to becoming the president of the United States, loved by the left probably even more so than most conservatives. I was incredibly skeptical of Trump, he would not have been my candidate as I was looking at the uh, primary candidates. I'm trying to think who I was really starting to focus on. I know Carly Fiorina caught my attention early on. I was going to check her out. I was not anywhere near uh, just giving an all-out endorsement. But after her, maybe Ted Cruz has always been some type of, I don't know, ick factor about Cruz. I, I, I and it, it might be totally a problem on my part, but there's just something about him in his presentation. Although he is an incredible debater and makes some very strong points, there's there's just something. Maybe it's his body language. I don't know. Some 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 silly bias on my part. But he was not. I guess he was somewhat in my focus about what candidate I would go with. But I can tell you right now, it was not Trump. I thought it was some type of uh, publicity stunt. Without, I will tell you. After the man became the president of the United States, I was very pleased with his policies. Delivery, not so much so. I think most people would agree with that. He just makes, I'm talking about political mistakes. There's just some things that you, I think you should say or or present. And it's in awareness of, you can say politics don't matter all day long, but politics do matter. So how you present does matter. And I think his cavalier attitude and not respectful of how to navigate politically hurt him, hurt him tremendously. I think he did not appreciate the powers of Washington. I know he's probably made many a political donation, knew how the system worked, but he did not understand what it was like when those powers were organized back against an individual as they were against him, and they were very effective. I think Elon Musk is getting ready to learn the same lesson. He's uh, got a lot more money than Trump does, and he thinks by just having an equal playing field, making everything available regardless if you're on the right, whether you're on the left, whether you post in the center, he thought, I'm just going to come into Twitter, and I'm going to have a platform, and I'm going to make it so honest and open to everybody. Everybody's going to buy into it, and I hope he's successful but he doesn't understand the left does not want an open, equal access media social outlet. They want to control it. Anything that is other that opposes their agenda, that's misinformation. That's not correct. You, there's something wrong with your thinking if you don't agree with us. I mean, you've got people that are working already talking about sabotaging Twitter. They're going to walk out. They're going to leave. So. I'm going to tell you, I'll tell you right now, I'm going to say it right here, right now, April the 27th, I'm right here just a little bit after 8 o'clock in the morning, if Elon Musk turns around Twitter and gets cooperation 
from the left like that to open up an equal free speech platform and everybody's happy, every good, everybody's good, the company starts making money, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to endorse him for president. He needs to be the president of the United States. If he can bring those two groups together, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I mean, he did it with Tesla. He does it with Twitter, who does not care about making money. They, they got one agenda and one agenda only, and that's to control a narrative, to control political elections. I heard some guy incredibly from the left. He was a uh, reporter, and he said, can you imagine if Elon Musk got control of Twitter you could influence elections. You could completely shut out the other side's uh, views. And, you know, you could actually heavily influence an election, which is exactly what Twitter did against Trump. You could be the most incredibly murderous, totalitarian regime sworn to destroy America. Facebook and Twitter are going to give you a platform to, to push that agenda. But the President of the United States, Donald Trump, was banned from Twitter. I think Elon Musk, my prediction is, is he's going to meet the same opposition to people. He can be as nice as he wants to. He can be as accommodating as he wants to. But they want to control the narrative. So I'm wishing him well. I'm thinking about investing in Twitter stock if it goes public. My understanding is he's going to own it all straight out. But he's got, he says he's got big plans for Twitter, so maybe it'll come open back up. And if it does, I'm, I'm going to have to put some money into it based on his past successes. So, but I think he's getting ready to learn a lesson. So another thing that's coming into the news, I mean, I'm not going to take credit for it. I mean, Biden's lying and his corruption has been well known for decades. But it's coming to a new light with all the revelations of the actual contact that he actually had with uh, Hunter's business associates. And it's getting to a point where I'm not going to say that they can't bury it because, you know, my God, hats off to the left and their ability to bury stories. I mean, I can be talking to friends about the border and they'll be like, what's wrong with the border? I'm like, man, we've got hundreds of thousands of people pouring over our borders a month. And they're like, who told you? Oh, you must watch Fox News. That's the only crazy place you could ever hear that. Or to be uh, asking, well, how do you feel about Hunter's uh, laptops and being dropped off? And I admit these stories are, are out there, but they're being they're being covered by people like the New York Post. Fox, whether you like them or not, they're not the ones being having multi-million dollar lawsuits brought against them for lying or, or pushing false news out there like CNN and MSNBC. So say whatever you want to, but I think the uh, proof is in the pudding. But, you know, if you're listening to MSNBC, ABC News, and that that's where you get your news from, then... There's, there's a lot of things that would sound awful silly to you. I would say, because I do watch these outlets, you'd be surprised a lot of times when I'm reading different things. I actually stay away from Fox just so I don't have that stigma of that's where it comes to. If I come in and I'm trying to substantiate a story and MSNBC is reporting or CNBC or MS, MSN, well, then, man, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a solid story because you are, you're using sources that have tried to deny. And usually they're like a, 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 about a year and a half behind the curve or after an election. This is getting to a... Uh, I would say a fevered pitch where it's going to have to be addressed. I will stay with my uh, earlier prediction. This is going to be 
maybe a little slap on the wrist, maybe some tax violation. It's not going to be followed to uh, Biden. But I understand that it's been discovered that he has actually participated in um, being paid for the influence that he was able to peddle. That is, uh, that's a whole nother kit and caboodle. It's one thing to take money for offering access to that type of influence. But when you have a sitting vice president or president taking money to facilitate, that is a horse of another color. So we'll see. I think it's going to, I think it'll go to Garland and it will die a death somewhere in the bubble of FBI. Could you imagine if uh, back when Ted Kennedy so cowardly left that young lady, Mary Jo Kopechny, in that, in that water at that dike bridge, could you imagine if they had, if the left had had control of the media like they do today? Because back then, that's, I have to be honest with you, I think that's the only thing that kept that story alive because it's obvious that Kennedy had everybody involved in their pockets and the ones that they didn't have in their pockets, they kept so confused and backpedaling so quick that before you knew it, they were controlling the, the courts, they were setting the parameters of any type of investigation or how Teddy would be investigated, that he would not be cross-examined. It was the news that just kept pounding, wanting to know all these stories. First of all, why was a senator with a single woman at midnight in a car? And even more importantly, how in the world do you end up with a dead girl in a senator's car. He's got a driver on the island that is assigned to drive him also a legal aid. It's, a, it's an incredible story, and I plan on covering that more in depth. I've always really been intrigued by that story, but I must say the true story is the cover-up cover of that horrible crime. And if you want to accept the narrative that Ted Kennedy ultimately had to accept that he was with a uh, single woman that night, that he was the driver of a vehicle that went off the road, that he, it was 10 hours that passed before he even reported it. And the things that happened during that 10 hours were incredible. For instance, when he uh, goes back to his hotel room and goes out of his way to go down to talk to the manager to complain about somebody making too much noise, keeping him up. And ask what time it is. 2.25 is what time. He's establishing an alibi. <laughs> but the real story is the all the uh, people that Joe Kennedy got up from, from government. I mean, people that used to serve JFK, such as, uh, yeah, I had to go hit pause for a second because I went and got this book I'm reading. It's called Chappaquiddick Speaks by a gentleman named... Bill Penny, if you're interested in the Chappaquiddick uh, incident, and I highly recommend this book, but on page 267, he uh, gives a, it's a partial list, keep in mind, this is not even the full list. I mean, he was literally calling lawyers for legal advice before the parents knew that their child was dead, before he went and made a formal statement to the police chief at Chappaquiddick. But at the Hyannis compound, also known as the Kennedy compound, what was being assembled, I mean, man, it looks like we're getting ready to uh, handle the Cuban Missile Crisis. You've got Robert McNamara, Secretary of Defense under John Kennedy. He was summoned and, and came. Theodore Sorsen, Special Assistant to President Kennedy. Richard Goodwin, Lawyer and Special Assistant to President Kennedy. Burke Marshall Kennedy, a Washington Attorney, U.S. Attorney General under John Kennedy. John Culliver, U.S. Congressman. Robert Clark, Lawyer, District Court Judge. Robert Clark, 
third, a lawyer, Dunn Gifford, friend and aide, who was actually flown to um, Tappaquiddick and was in the process of getting the body before the body was even brought out of the water. I know that might not be right. I do know that he was at the funeral home before that body arrived. I mean, they were moving quickly. They they had even established that Kennedy was the was driving the car when it went off into the into the to the water. So you would think that when you found a senator's car, which that was established fairly early on, you you would have thought that would have brought the U.S. Coast Guard. You would have had the National Guard. You would have had everything at the disposal of the U.S. government. But the, everything that was disposable to the U.S. government went to the Kennedy compound to set up a war room to see how they were going to handle this situation. But included was Sergeant Shriver, Kennedy's brother-in-law, Frank O'Connor, Kennedy's assistant, Dan Daly, a lawyer, Paul Redmond, lawyer, Paul Markham, lawyer, U.S. attorney for Massachusetts, Joseph Gargan, lawyer, and Kennedy first cousin, Milton Gortzman, lawyer, John Tooney, U.S. Congressman, David Burke Kennedy, Administrative Assistant, Edward Hannafy, Lawyer and Director of the New England Telephone Company, Stephen Smith Kennedy, brother-in-law, which he was calling at 2 o'clock in the morning from Edgerton, from his hotel room, which was on the other side of the bay or whatever you want to call it, Inlet. James Smith, Assistant District Attorney and former Kennedy campaign coordinator. Richard McCarran, lawyer. John Driscoll, lawyer. Kenneth O'Donnell, friend. Lamone Billings, friend and aide. David Hackett, friend and aide. Frank Mankiewicz, President Secretary, uh, Press Secretary to Robert Kennedy. So, wow, they had a lot of control, but they did not have control of the media back then and it was only from the persistent pounding there was one um there was one reporter and when i do get around to doing chapaquitic i will surely be able to include her i want to say that she was working for abc the kennedys actually tried to have her fired they tried to pull her strings into their credit abc back in that day i guess they were much more about the news story than they were about politics or getting a certain person elected and ted kennedy would have been a president had it not been for chapaquiddick he would have been a president i don't want to get too far off but my point is can you imagine if the left had had the kind of control over the media that they do today i i can't imagine if there had been a fox network during chapaquiddick oh my god so that story never died out, but I'll leave you with this. I think most people do know the narrative that he was driven, he, he drove his car, didn't have a license. It was uh, expired license. He had multiple reckless driving charges prior to uh, reported that he actually hit a kid, and they were able to sweep that under the rug. Didn't kill a kid from understand, so I hope, hope he's doing well today if he's still alive. Um, but could you imagine, could you only imagine if they had had that kind of control, they they would have uh, had the same effect as I'll, I'll explain to you later. I would go to some of my friends who just listen to other outlets, and I say, "Hey, did you ever hear about that Kennedy the running, killing that girl, leaving her in the water? Didn't even try to get her any help." They'd be like, "You've got to be listening to Fox Network. That is such a crazy story." I agree. That is an incredible crazy story. So. Uh, Keep your heads up. Uh, I think I'm going. I might do that Chappaquiddick on the birthday of Mary Jo Kopechny because she gets lost. She when she was dying in that water, 
and there was a possibility to save her. Ted abandoned her. It's obvious that he was going to set an alibi. The first two people he wanted to talk to were lawyers. That's who he kept on talking to, um, trying to get hold of his brother-in-law, Smith, to uh, see what he should do. And, of course, I'm sure the phone call went to his dad. He made 17 calls during that 10 hours, and they were all to save his ass. Not one of those calls were made to do anything for that young lady submerged in that car. But, like I said, I don't know where that's going to go to. I think I might concentrate more on the Army of people that were assembled to handle the situation and how they dispatched their aides to, I mean, they sent an aide to be with the Kopechny families. They, I think they put them there under the guise of trying to protect them from the, uh, the, the news. But what they were trying to do was to keep the news from them. They were trying to say that Ted was very badly hurt. That's not true. He wasn't hurt at all. They didn't need the Kopechnys coming out and being in a rage and calling for justice for, for their little girl because any way you want to slice that tomato, one thing you'll never be able to explain is why Ted Kennedy, Gargan, and Markham did not report that. They did not alert the island. There was a uh, fire station that was well lit that had a call station that was meant to alert the island in the case of such things, and everybody would have been there. There would have been people on scene within 15 minutes, but as it turned out, that young lady stayed under that water for 10 hours before somebody got her out. So... And I didn't mean to uh, stay on that so long, I guess, that it kind of, well, it always has. It's always been in my crawl. Ever since I heard that story as a young boy, it's been in my crawl. Such, such, such an injustice. And I don't think people understand the Kennedys like they think they do or that they really should. There's, there's quite a different story there than what has been presented. But let me see, what else do I want to talk about today? Um, how about the southern border? Let's talk about you know, the southern border. We We have never had people pouring over our borders. The border is literally open. The only thing that's kind of keeping it somewhat at bay, and I say that very loosely, is that Title 42. It has been a very effective tool for those that are patrolling the border and trying to turn people back. But the uh, Pew Research reports that at the different sectors, like I'll give you an example, encounters at the Big Bend sector, they've gone up 332%. The El Centro sector, 115%. Laredo is up 118%. Yum sector is up 1,200%. San Diego sector, 167 Tucson, they're up 189 El Paso, they're up 256 Del Rio, they're up 543%. The Rio Grande, they're up 509%. And we are on... A trajectory of having 1.7 million encounters by July, and that's with Title 42 in place. Title 42 being in place has allowed uh, the Border Patrol to turn back about 42 percent, half of the people. That's why everybody's getting geared up from this big surge, which which Title 42 has been uh, helping somewhat. Like I said, it's like a it's like a bandaid on a on an amputation. It's it's uh, it's it's helpful and it has kept many down. But there are still hundreds of thousands of illegal aliens pouring into our country, and that border being open like it is, and this is not new either has really facilitated the cartels in so many ways, human trafficking and fentanyl. 300 deaths a day in the U.S. Uh, due to fentanyl. And you can't tell me that that's not being facilitated. 
It has to be somebody in our government, some very powerful people, are making a lot of money off of this. And that money, that, that fentanyl comes from China. Most of it comes from China. You can't tell me that China having the ability to lock an entire population of a city down and lock them in. I mean, they will come to your apartment, your house, put a padlock on the door, and there you will stay. So when they want to shut something down, they can. But that fentanyl is flowing freely into Mexico, and it is coming freely across our borders. If we wanted to close that border down, we could close that border down. But I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I just It was just part of the insanity. I think uh, Kamala Harris was sent a year and a half ago to address what she called was the root of the problem. So she went down there, she come back and whatever she addressed, it, it made it worse. Another thing that should be cons uh, considered when we're talking about immigration is just not Mexico that is coming over. There's like 167 different nations. You've got people like Africa, Bangladesh, India, Carib people from the Caribbean, and China, yeah, I guess China is going to start sending people over. I mean, they need places for people to live, right? And they ain't having no problem getting their fentanyl across our border, so they might start sending a population of people. We don't really know who is in our country today. There's very little processing that goes on. Some of these people coming across, they don't have any ideas. For those of you that are really about wearing masks and COVID protection, I wonder why it doesn't bother you that these people don't even have the basic vaccinations that you're expected to have uh, to send your kid to school. And they're not getting the COVID vaccination, not being forced to do that either. And so it makes no sense that at a time when Biden is starting to ramp up all the stuff about face mask again, that he would be allowing all these people to come from all over the world into our country and uh, not checking them for COVID, just releasing them not requiring them to have a vaccine. You would think as much as they have forced or tried to force the vaccine on the American people, that's the least they could do as these people are just walking unimpeded into our country. Uh, well, you're going to have to take a shot. You're going to have to take a shot before you get released. Now, they get a pay phone, sometimes a little bit, couple thousand dollars to assist them. It's, it's, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. So they're not trying to do anything. We have more than enough laws on the books. And for those of you that were against the wall, you paid for that wall. You just didn't get it because the materials laying on the ground. Uh, when he signed the about Biden, when Biden signed that order to cease all construction, that construction company continued to get paid. They were getting paid as much as $5 million a day to not build the wall. Another thing you might be interested in since you, if you're, if you're listening to this and you pay taxes, it should concern you a little bit. That pipeline that they shut down, which we so desperately need, that oil today, and we would be getting today. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the company that was building that pipeline, but they want $15 billion. They have shareholders to answer to, and uh, I, it has strained the relationship between Canada and the U.S. I mean, to just take office and to stop an agreement, a legal agreement that was signed. You know, I, I don't know. I think they're going to be able to do it. I think they're going to be able to successfully sue. So therefore, you are paying at the pump. God knows you are paying at the pump. I know I am. I, but that's what happens when you reduce the supply, and it is something that is needed, and, and it is a threat to our national security. But when you reduce the supply and you need it that bad, the cost of it is going to skyrocket. But you need to understand 
that the progressives and the woke want you in an electric car, which, you know, that even that just goes back to Elon. You would think that they would be all lovey-dovey on Elon because he uh, making electric cars, but he also supports free speech, and that is a deal-breaker. So, like I said, we'll just have to keep our eyes open and see how that goes. All right, well, I think that's going to be enough right there. Uh, I would love to hear some stuff from you. I don't mind. I, maybe one day we'll be able to set up a telephone line or something. I, it's, it's testing me on all my technical abilities just to produce this very low-budget podcast. But anyhow, if you liked what you heard today, um, I'm going to ask you to hit the subscribe button. And as I always do, I'm going to bid you a fond adieu. Pray for your house. Pray for, your, pray for this country. Hope that you're safe. Take care of you and yours. And uh, let's look after each other. God bless. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. Bye.